0: For listening to the Rivers podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. We're we're re we're we're picking up in, in the series that, that Rob is preaching on indefinitely, um, on the Gospel of John, and he's he's taken a couple weeks off uh, to 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 go through the Easter season and, and some things like that. But the last time that he preached. It was on the parable, or not the parable, the story of the banquet where Jesus turns water into wine, and so he he, he did a great, great job on expounding on that, and I really appreciated his approach, and I, if, if you were here, I'm sure you did too, and so obviously he would give me the next verse to preach on, and we're just going to keep moving through that, and so that verse is John 2.12, and when I first saw it, I was like, Um, could I get a little more, maybe? But as I started to study it, this thing opened up, and so I'm thankful, I'm thankful that the Word of God has endless possibilities for us. And so, here's the verse, I want to read it to you, it just says, after this, and and Jesus had just been at this wedding banquet, and after this he went to Capernaum with his mother, and brothers and his disciples. And there they stayed for a few days. (coughs) Riveting, right? (laughs) There they stayed for a few days. And so the first question that I start to ask, can we do a little Bible study this morning? I know last time I preached here, I screamed at you for about an hour um, about how the king has the last move, and I really enjoyed that. But um, we got to do a little Bible study on this one. And so the first question I ask is, what the heck is happening in Capernaum? Where is Capernaum? What's going on? And I, I don't want to give you too much of a history lesson, but here's what we know. Jesus left a wedding banquet, Right? He leaves a wedding banquet where he's done something pretty significant. And as we move through John, as, as Rob teaches through John, I just want to give you a little bit of a snippet of what's going on so you can kind of be in, be, be, be on the inside with it all. John kind of records some specific miracles. He starts with water to wine, which is, which is really specific, and then he progresses these miracles. They get better and better and better and better and, until the very end where... He raises someone from the dead. And you can see see John writing that Jesus is making some claims with these miracles. And so that's what he's he's just done. He's he's done this first miracle and he's leaving the wedding banquet and he's headed to Capernaum. And why Capernaum? So a little history for you. Capernaum is where Jesus did a lot of his miracles. It's kind of like the backdrop of where he did a lot of his stuff. But when you when you look at the name in Hebrew, Capernaum means, and I know this sounds boring, but you're gonna be like, at the end, you're gonna say, Rod, this was really good. You really, you really led me somewhere. Capernaum means Nahum's village. Nahum, some of us have heard that name before. He wrote a book in the Old Testament. Not a lot of people study Nahum because it's not the most positive spin on things. Nahum was a prophet who wrote a taunt letter to a city called Nineveh. And Nineveh had laid siege to Jerusalem many years before, and so Nahum was like, God's going to get you guys. And so by the time Jonah gets that and is headed to Nineveh, he, he has a context to understand kind of what's going on, and he's like, God's going to get Nineveh, Right? And so this city is named after Nahum, Nahum's village, which is is basically the prophet who wrote an Old Testament taunt to Nineveh. He's shaking his fist at Nineveh, and now a village gets named after him. But in Greek, not Hebrew, like Greek and Hebrew cultures, they're existing at the same time in this space. For some reason in the Greek culture, Capernaum gets the name City of Comfort, a very different name, a very different understanding of a city. And so we all know what happened for Nineveh, right, from reading Jonah? We know what happened in that city. God destroyed it all, right? No, he saved everybody. And so, sorry, Nahum. You know, God has other plans. Not that Nineveh didn't experience consequences at some point. And so Capernaum moves from the Hebrew Nahum's village, the prophet who despised Nineveh, to Greek, the city of comfort. And so to the righteous or to the insider, the Hebrew, the holy one, Capernaum has one name, the prophet against our enemy, Nahum's village. But to the pagans and the outsiders, the Greeks, Capernaum has another name, the city of comfort. Such a weird thing that one city can exist with two different names. And I asked the question, why? And I realized it's because Capernaum's where Jesus did a lot of awesome stuff. Like a lot of awesome stuff. Capernaum is where he, he approaches his disciples. He gets in the boat with them. They can't catch any fish. And he's like, throw your net on that side. They're like, Jesus, we already tried that. They do it anyways. They catch a bunch of fish. Capernaum is where Jesus heals a demon possessed dude. I've never even seen a demon possessed dude. Jesus healed one. Capernaum is where there was a miraculous healing of Peter's mother in law, there was healing of many sick and diseased. The paralyzed guy got healed. There was a healing of a man with a withered hand. A synagogue leader's daughter got healed. Jesus healed two blind men. Jesus healed a dumb spirit so that somebody could talk. And he even made money come out of a fish's mouth. All in Capernaum. And so, yeah. Capernaum experiences this identity shift over time. And and you have to really pay attention to see it because at at first it's Nahum's village, the prophet who despises Nineveh, and we despise our enemies to the city of comfort. And the difference in this identity shift of Capernaum, if you haven't figured it out by now, is Jesus. It's Jesus. That's my opinion, anyways. And Capernaum became known as Jesus' hometown. It became the city of comfort. To the demon possessed man, the city was the place where he was set free. To the blind men, it was the place where now they could see. To the man with the withered hand, it was the place where he now had mobility and movement. To the woman who couldn't talk, it was the place where she was, her mouth was opened. To the many sick and diseased and paralyzed, it was the place where Jesus kind of swept in and brought comfort. And so Capernaum gets the name, City of Comfort. Am I too heady for you or are you following? Your life is either going to scream judgment to the other or it's going to be a place of comfort for your neighbor. And that can happen in the same city. And that can happen in the same life. You can really, with your life, make it hell for somebody. Or you can take on a different identity and make it heaven. So welcome to Capernaum this morning. It's whatever you want it to be. It's C.S. Lewis, the great divorce. Capernaum, whatever you want it to be, it can be the place where you call hellfire on your enemy or you can be, it can be the place of comfort once you've realized that your enemy is your neighbor. Amen, Rod, that was good. Thank you. <laughs> can be the place of place where you call hellfire on your enemy, or it can be the place of comfort once you realize that your enemy is your neighbor. Capernaum is your life, and Jesus wants to go there. So let me backtrack a bit. This isn't a long sermon, so don't don't worry. I'm not going to bore you. Jesus was going to Capernaum to stay for a few days, and he was coming from a wedding banquet where the strangest thing happened. Do you guys remember Rob teaching on this? The strangest thing happened at this wedding banquet, and it's, it's weird. Jesus turns water into wine, and he did it much quicker than our natural process. He turns water into wine, and that's not that, 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 that's weird enough, but it touched on something for those who had eyes to see it. And there were a few there who had eyes to see it, because they might have remembered this time where their people, their ancestors, had been in slavery. And they had been born into slavery, and they only thought like slaves, and there was no way to get out of the hole that they were in. And then this guy named Moses comes along. And he takes, his, he takes his staff and he touches it to the water. And the water turns to blood. And in that moment, from that progression of miracles that begin to happen, as the water turns to blood, the Israelites learned that there is a new God in town. Not a God who wants to keep you in the slavery that you've existed. If you would have asked the Israelites before, do the gods approve of your slavery, they would have lifted their heads, they would have looked to the Pharaoh who claimed to be God, who had them as slaves, and they would have said, yeah, that makes sense, because I'm a slave and he's God. So God must approve of my slavery, but then the water turns to blood. And there's a new God in town, a God who's doing something different, who's saying, I want to take you out of this space, out of this place where you can only think in your own bondage, and I want to move you to a new place, although it's going to be foreign for you because your whole life you've only known one way. And the disciples look, and they see, Jesus isn't just making more alcohol. Jesus isn't just bringing more wine to the banquet. He's sending a message. To the point where the guy says, you know, the, the head of the banquet at the end, he says, usually people do the best stuff in the front, and then they, then they bring the cheap wine out at the end. But you have saved the best for last not just in flavor, in what Jesus was going to do. I am the God of Israel in the flesh, and I'm here to bring freedom. And this is what Jesus was about, the miracle claiming that he's here to set us free. And so to the watchful eye, Jesus' miracle isn't about water and wine. I've already said it. It's about blood and freedom and crossing a Red Sea into an unknown space. It's about even though you might not know what freedom looks like in your life, even though you've never tasted this unimaginable grace, you know it's there and you're going to walk out of the only prison you know. And you're going to walk into grace. Because Jesus can turn water to wine. You're going to follow Jesus. This miracle is about following Jesus wherever he wants you to go. Because you know he's going to set you free. And the disciples followed. And so Jesus does this amazing miracle. And then he says, follow me. And he goes to Capernaum. Takes them to Capernaum. But here's the catch. And here's what I want you to get. We're in the early part of John, right? This is the first miracle, turning water to wine. So Jesus hasn't done all those other miracles in Capernaum that I mentioned earlier. You, you tracking? Yeah. He hasn't done them yet. He's just given a little glimpse. Hey, I, I'm, I, I'm the same guy who, who, who did the water to blood thing. I'm this one, and I, I did water to wine. I'm the same God. He hasn't done that stuff yet. In this this instance, Capernaum is still Nahum's village. The people of Capernaum have still yet to see the miracles of Jesus. They have yet to be transformed. He has not transformed it into a city of comfort yet. It's still named after the prophet. But he will, just nobody knows it yet. And he still calls... And his mother and his brother and his disciples follow. So he has an offer out to follow him into something that he has yet to do. I always find it strange, this language, mother and brothers. He went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. In Matthew... Some people run up to Jesus and say, Your mother and brothers are looking for you. And he says, Who are my mother and brothers? Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. They're my mother and brothers. And John, being the abstract writer that he is, I wouldn't put it past him to say, Hey, Jesus, I know what's going on. I'm going to sneak this in here. I'm your mother and your brother. And so I wonder if Jesus could have been with anybody. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so, friends, the reality becomes that I know some of you haven't seen the transformation happen in your life yet. I know it. And I know some of you see the place that you live as a city of judgment and torment and pain and I know you want it to change, and I know you've cried out in night for God to change your circumstance. Ituha did a great job last week talking about this. I just want you to know that there's an invitation, and it's an invitation to an after party. VIPs only. It's an invitation because when you're with Jesus, the party's never over. I got an amen on that. When you're with Jesus, the party's never over, and he wants to come into your life and bring comfort where there is no peace. He wants to take your Nahum's village that judges and despises your enemies, and he wants to turn you into a city of peace. He wants to take our country that judges and despises its enemies and turn us into a country of peace. He wants to take our city that separates itself by railroad tracks and streets and color and school district and turn us into a city of peace. He wants to bring his comfort. And he's shown us the sign that he can do it. We've been in the church and we've felt the Holy Spirit move when the worship flows out. We've heard the Bible open and it be spoken and something jumps in our spirit. We've went to the conference and we've come back, man, that was a great speech I heard. We've had encounters with people that have laid their hands on us and we've felt the peace of God in glimpses. We've seen it grow. We've seen it come. We know it's there. We want more of it. And so we look and we look and we look and we look and Jesus says, I showed you that stuff so that you would follow me over here where I'm going to begin to do the real miracles, where I'm going to begin to communicate to the lonely, the biggest miracle of all, you're no longer lonely. Where I'm going to go to the lost and communicate, you're no longer lost. I've given you church people at the banquet who were invited and who were there, I've given you this glimpse. I turned the water to wine, baby. I did it. I turned the water to wine. I pointed out that it's just like the Exodus where I turned the water to blood because I wanted to set a whole group of people free. And I did it in your atmosphere. I came to you. I came to your building. I came to your party. And I showed you what I can do. But now I'm going to go somewhere else. And if you want to be a part of this thing, you got to come along too. Because you haven't seen it yet. I'm going to go to a city that has a different name, and I'm going to change that name to City of Comfort. You want to come along? And his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed a few days. I go for walks on Sunday night with friends. It's relaxing. And I'm extroverted, so I never go on walks by myself. (laughs) We go on walks around my neighborhood because we know that when you're with Jesus, the party's never over. And I remember I I I shared this story on social media a little while ago, but I remember a few months back, we were, we were out doing a walk, and we were talking, and, and we had been to church, and we had experienced the vision and seen what God wanted to do. We felt that he was inviting us out, and so we're walking around, and we see a man on his porch, and something pulls us toward that man, kind of like when Jesus goes to Capernaum and something pulled him toward the paralyzed guy. And something pulled him towards the blind people. And something pulled him towards the lonely ones. Something pulled him towards Zacchaeus' house in Jericho. It was like that, you know? And this guy's sitting on his porch, and we're like, hey, man, can we pray for you? Such a weird thing to just walk up and ask somebody. And he says, absolutely. Such a weird response. You would almost think that humans were made to interact. (laughs) And you would almost think that humans believe good about each other. And you would almost think that maybe deep down in the core of who God made us to be, we're really not afraid of each other. Can we pray for you? Yeah, sure. We start to pray. I don't even remember who it is. Somebody starts to pray, and they start praying for peace. And the guy starts shaking. He's freaking out. He interrupts the whole prayer. I feel, I feel it, I feel it, I feel so much peace in my body. I'm like, you're shaking, it doesn't seem like, yeah, I feel it, I feel peace. So then, one of us is like, so you, you wanna know Jesus? Yeah, I wanna know Jesus. And so so one of us starts to pray with him, and it's one of those repeat-after-me prayers, right? That's the only thing we know how to do. (laughs) I want to invite the divine being of the universe, the creator of all things, into my life. Okay, repeat after me. (laughs) And so... I mean, honestly, I think it was me because I don't even know how to do these things. I'm stumbling through this prayer. I'm like, God, you made the universe. He's like, God, you made the universe, and you're really big, and you're really big, and I, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that big. I'm not that big, and I want you to save me, and I want you to save me, and, and, uh, Forgive me for my sin and all the stuff I've done. Forgive me for my sin and all the stuff I've done. And then he stops. We finish praying, and he goes, dude. Like, I, I, had, I had just babbled through this prayer to the point where I'm wondering if God even counted it <laughs> as a prayer. This guy's going to be giving his testimony someday. And he's going to be like, yeah, guys, listen up. I thought I received Christ one time. Nothing in my life changed after. And then I went to a Billy Graham revival, and then I really did. So be leery of people who have no idea how to pray. Doing repeat after me prayers with you. He goes, dude, everything we just prayed is tattooed on my arm. What? (laughs) Pulls up his sleeve. It's it's tattooed on his arm. I I mean, I'm babbling over here. I go, Jesus, I say, forgive me for my sins and all the stuff I've done. He repeats it after me. He pulls up his sleeve, tattooed on his arm. Forgive me for my sin and all the stuff I've done. And God, in that moment, whispers to me, I love you, but you're an idiot. (laughs) You don't think that if you followed me into Capernaum, you don't think that if you followed me into where I was going, that I would meet you where you're at, Rod? You don't think that I would step in and show you some stuff? You don't think that I would meet you where you're at? You don't think that I would make it not about you? You've been going to church your whole life, You've been worshiping your whole life. You've been reading the word of God your whole life, and you've seen the glimpses of what I can do. You don't think that moment that you step out and follow me actually to where I really am, that I'm not gonna meet you there? I was like, okay, I repent. (laughs) And we both received Christ (laughs) right then. And I realized it. We put the crosses on our walls and we put the empty tombs and we say that Jesus has risen from the dead. That's why Jesus isn't on the cross that we hang up and that's why he's not peeking his head out of the empty tomb that we put on the wall. And we put up these images to remind us of where Jesus was. And they're beautiful. And they show us where he's been so that we can see where he's going. Jesus has called us to Capernaum. Not on a short-term mission trip. He wants us to stay there for a few days. He wants us to take our lives And get proximate with the other, the one who we've been afraid of. And when Jesus did that, the demon possessed guy entered into the city of comfort, the blind man entered into the city of comfort. the man who had tattooed his salvation prayer on his arm entered into the city of comfort. That'll preach, man. Because Jesus hadn't done it yet, and his disciples followed him anyways. So yeah, maybe you're stuck, and he hasn't done it yet in your life. Follow him anyways, because he's about to. Do you know why he's about to? Because he's going to convict somebody else to follow him into your life. And when they finally become obedient to that call, that he's said to their heart about eight billion times by now, And they finally take that step, they're gonna find themselves in your life and the miracles are gonna start to happen. And those of you like me who need to continually take that step into the uncomfortable, into the place that society has told us we need to be afraid of, into the space that we will be surrounded by our enemies. I just want to tell you that you will learn very quickly, because of the miraculous power of Jesus to make the tomb empty, that your enemies are not your enemies, that Nahum's village is now the city of comfort, because your enemies have become your neighbors. That's the point. Even though he hasn't done it yet, we have to follow. He wants to follow. He wants you to follow him into the space where he's going to set you free and use you to set others free. And he is going to wow you like crazy because he wants you to stay for a few days because he loves you that much. If you guys would humor me and hold your hands out like this, I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for my friends. Thank you for the river. Thank you that the river puts up an image of an empty tomb on their wall to show us where you can take us, Father, so we can find where you're at. We confess and acknowledge that you've made it very clear that you are the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the stranger, That you are our enemy, but you want us to call you neighbor. And we repent of not doing that. And we ask you to make us people who see you in all people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.